Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, Session 251. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreau. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 251 you're listening to. My guest today is another old friend of Working Class Audio. I'm talking about mastering engineer Piper Payne, who returns for another chat about her journey. Piper originally appeared on WCA number 45, and as you would expect, many things have changed since that original episode that came out in I think it was October of 2015. Piper has recently joined former WCA guest Pete Lyman and the team at Infrasonic Mastering, which operates in Los Angeles, Oakland, and Nashville. Piper is incredibly active in the recording community at large. She is a trustee of the Recording Academy, serves on the P&E Wing Steering Committee and Advisory Council. She's a governor of the Audio Engineering Society, the co-founder and co-chair of the AES's Diversity and Inclusion Committee, as well as an active member of Women's Audio Mission. Plus, she serves on the board of soundgirls.org. So very much looking forward to bringing you our second interview. And if you have a chance, head on over to the Working Class Audio website, workingclassaudio.com, and prime yourself with interview number one that is, uh, as I said before, WCA number 45. Piper Payne coming up here on the Working Class Audio podcast. So several hours of your day might be spent working in audio full-time or part-time. For those in part-time, the other part of your day might be spent at a day gig. If you have kids or a significant other, I would expect, of course, that you would be spending time with them as well. But there is downtime that exists, believe it or not, and what you do with that downtime is important. So what do you do with your downtime? Before you answer that, let me throw out a list of things that are competing for your attention and are easy distractions in your downtime and otherwise. Uh, 24-hour news shows, uh, mini-series on Netflix or HBO, video games, checking email, social media, YouTube. So out of that list, how many of those things occupy your downtime? I can confess to being distracted by all of them except for the video games part. Look, I'm not here to tell you what you should or should not be doing with your downtime. That's your call. I'm simply here to pester you into changing your habits in hopes that you will have a more successful career or at least accomplish the goals you want to accomplish. And I feel that how you utilize that downtime is important. So consider this. Uh, The news these days, for example, is not like the days of Walter Cronkite where you were given the info and then you had to make up your mind about what you were hearing. Uh, Today on the major shows, they provide you with the info, then have a roundtable of paid consultants talk in circles and circles about the topic. So the ease in which one could sit down, say, for lunch, uh, turn on the news for a little catch-up session in your downtime could quickly suck you into a whole hour plus distraction session. We all want to be informed about the world news, but consider the downtime you could create by getting up a little earlier and having coffee, of course, and reading the news then in say the Wall Street Journal or The Economist or something like that. Both are timely. You can stay on top of what's happening without being subjected to a load of ridiculous commercials and people talking in circles. It's uh, it's a way to kind of get a jump on your day 
And uh, you can do it in peace without uh, hearing someone talk at you. So email. When it comes to email, consider setting aside a couple of times in the day where you simply sit down and respond to and send out emails. Sitting there, mixing with your browser open, checking email every time a notification comes in is a distraction you don't need. If I burst into your control room demanding your attention on a mix you did a week ago, that would be rude. And you would look at me and say, piss off, or I'll get to you when I'm done here. Email is doing the same thing. So in your downtime, simply go in, email who you have to email, respond who you have to respond to, and, and accomplish what it is you want to accomplish there. But I, but I do get it. You know, when, when we've been working a long day, sometimes it's great to unwind. And some of us, including myself, love to go on YouTube and just look at stupid shit, right? It happens all the time. One minute I'm, you know, following a link that I, you know, of course, got off social media, the other major distraction in my downtime. Oh, look at this video. Oh, yeah, I, I watched the video. And then, oh, look at all the suggested videos on the right-hand side of the YouTube page. And next thing I know, an hour plus has flown by and what have I watched? Just, I don't wanna say I watched pure garbage, but I've just, you know, not got anything done. Now, I may have seen some entertaining things along the way, but that's not necessarily helping me achieve any of my goals. So be aware of it. You know, I could call out all these things one by one and we could talk about the scenarios. That would be pointless. That would be a huge waste of your time and my time. So. Here I am simply saying, examine your own habits, think about how you're using your downtime. And when you're working, try not to let any of these other things like email creep in while you're working because you're working, right? So answer those emails at a different time. Don't be distracted by social media all day long. And instead, start to fill your downtime either with family-oriented things, friend-oriented things, or business-oriented things that are going to help you achieve what you want to achieve. That could be anything, sending out invoices, working on your website, doing things that help your career. Think it over. Just here to pastor you. You do what you want, but that's it. Thanks for hearing me out. Most of you already know about Grace Design and have known about them for years. Uh, they've been around since 1994. It was started by the two brothers, Michael and Eben Grace, who still run the company to this day. And you already know that they make incredible sounding products for us all. What you might not know if you don't know them is that Michael and Eben are two of the nicest people on the planet. Easily approachable, very knowledgeable. You might have met them at a trade show and experienced this. Without a doubt, it's one of my favorite companies out there in the world of pro audio. You might have heard me a few times talking about the Grace 908 Atmos controller. I think the most elegant solution, if you're going to be doing Atmos, that is the best solution out there, as far as I'm concerned, hands down. And prior to that, I was using the Stereo 905 controller for many years. Not only that, but most recently, I have used their 108 mic pre's to do the Room 219 combo jazz record that you might have heard me talk about. The point is, is that they check all the boxes for me. They're incredibly nice people. They make incredibly great products. They're located here in the United States in Lyons, Colorado, and employ a number of people. They're the epitome of a small business here in the U.S., and I just love that whole thing. So if you are in the market for mic preamps or instrument preamps or monitor controllers, this is the company to check out hands down. If you don't know about them, go to gracedesign.com, check them out. And if you're in the market for any of those products, you absolutely have to consider what they offer because what they offer is superior build quality and sound quality 
And those of you who bought their products in the 90s that are still using them, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So check them out, gracedesign.com. I know the business of audio is a frustrating one sometimes. The audio part's pretty, pretty fun, but it's the business of it and the career part of it that's a little challenging to many of us. I can completely empathize with that. And if you thought to yourself, God, I wish I could talk to somebody about this, you can do that. You could talk with me about it. As a matter of fact, you can book me for a coaching and consulting call over Zoom very simply. Just head on over to workingclassaudio.com. If you click on the menu button at the top of the menu, there is a link that says coaching and consulting with Matt. Super simple. Click on the link, book me in for an hour on a Zoom call, and we will discuss your particular situation, and I will help you get refocused, re-inspired, and figure out what is the best path forward for you. If your situation requires a little more extensive conversation, we can absolutely book a series of calls and, like I say, get you focused and get you moving forward. I've been there, and when you don't have anybody to talk to about it, it's a little frustrating. So head on over to workingclassaudio.com, click on the menu button, and book yourself in for a Zoom call with me. And we can sit down and chat, coffees in hand, ready to tackle the business of audio together. That's it. Let's get to it. Piper Payne here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, Piper. Thanks, Matt. It's important to revisit people that I've already spoken with because so much has changed for a lot of people I've interviewed, and mm -hmm. you especially. Just to kind of recap, when I left you last, you were working at Michael Romanowski Mastering in, in kind of a side building of Fantasy Studios in Berkeley. And Piper and I did an interview, uh, number 45. Right. I think that was the second or third day after we moved into the Fantasy Studio C, and we had just renamed the business from Michael Romanowski Mastering to Coast Recorders, or Coast Mastering, sorry, because right. we came from the Coast Recorders building where I knew you originally. Boy, that's almost 200 episodes ago. So let's start with, we're in Nashville. We're actually in Lidshaw's studio, my brother from another podcast <laughs> uh, from Recording Studio Rockstars. Lidge has been hosting me as a guest, and we're in his studio, the Toy Box. Beyond being here for Nam, we're also here because Piper is now living here and splitting her time between the Bay Area and Nashville. So let's talk about right now, what is happening? Why are you here in Nashville? Well, Matt, you know, I, I came out here for the Working Class Audio podcast update. Yeah, sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so right now, where I'm at is I have been invited to become a part of the Infrasonic Mastering family. Mm -hmm. So my company, Nito Mastering, has just joined the family. Now I'm splitting time between Nashville and Oakland, California, where my studio which was, again, previously called Nito Mastering, is still exactly where it was. Same spot, same speakers, same console, same everything. My assistant, Chris, is still working out of that facility to support my mastering projects when I'm in Nashville and when I'm in Oakland to see some of my clients from the Bay and attended sessions that need to crop up out there. We can still accommodate that. And here in Nashville, um, second shift out of Pete's room, Pete Lyman, and uh, sorry to interrupt mm -hmm. you, but I want to put this into perspective. So Infrasonic for the audience is Pete Lyman's operation and 
Pete was episode number 199. And also, I just want to put this in chronological order, generally speaking, is that you were at Michael Romanowski Mastering, which turned into Coast Mastering, right? Yep. About two years after we did our podcast, yeah, I had an opportunity to start my own mastering facility in a building in Jack London Square in Oakland, a building called Sharkbite Studios. Which is yeah, home of Sharkbite Studios yeah. in the same building. Have you interviewed Ryan oh, yeah. for this? Oh, what number is he? I'm sure he had a lot of very interesting things to say. He's a He absolutely did. He is like such a huge supporter of musicians and other engineers, of course. I mean, he was incredibly generous and he moved really quickly to open a studio as a favor to me when I was looking to start my own mastering company. I had had an opportunity to go into that facility where Ryan was using. The room that I'm, I'm in now was used as a mastering room in his sort of mixed down office. And so he vacated and made it available to me at a price I could afford. And that just totally changed everything for me. And for the audience, I know we're jumping around here a little bit, but Ryan Massey was episode number 138. So Mike Romanowski Mastering, Coast Mastering, and then you had the opportunity to create Nido Mastering mm-hmm. in the Shark Bite building. And then recently that's changed. So now you have teamed up with Pete Lyman of Enfrasonic, mm-hmm. which now encompasses Nashville, Oakland, and, and Los, Los Angeles. Angeles. Right. There's also been a whole bunch of other things that have happened too in the meantime. But yeah, so after having Nito for a couple of years, and and Pete and I have been going back and forth on me joining Infrasonic pretty much since the day I left Coast. And the offer came around for a third time, and this time it was to join him in Nashville. And I really looked at the services that I was not able to reliably give my clients as far as like having a really good lathe at my disposal and being able to offer the connection to management with a really rock star management team. There were a few things that I wasn't able to do for my clients from Oakland. And so joining Pete's facility, you know, now I can cut lacquer for my clients and now we can practically walk the masters down to 79 for plating and and having the network of folks that are part of Infrasonic and the other engineers, it was a real honor and also just a huge step up in terms of services for my clients from Nito. What I'm curious about is dissecting that. So mm-hmm. from being the owner of Nito Mastering and now teaming up with someone like Pete, what does that mean for you from a business perspective in a way that is, how is it structured? Mm-hmm. Like what decisions did you have to make to make that work for both of you? Well, just for some context for mm-hmm. folks that have never spent time in the recording community in the Bay Area, yeah, which is, as we know, very friendly and a great network of really talented people, not always the best business people around because sometimes there's a bit of a trade and barter system trying to happen in the music community in in the Bay. And sometimes there's a lot of challenges with landlords and rents and instability, even just something as simple as housing. And it's hard to run a business in the Bay Area, no matter what you're doing, if you're not directly in tech or directly in like higher education or directly in the medical industry. It's difficult to run a business that was built on healthy artists and healthy musicians. So the biggest reason why it was it was a good opportunity for me to join Infrasonic was simply because the relationship between like the overhead of the studio would change. 
and the relationship of my responsibility to keep a staff employed would change. Now, I say that, and it sounds like I'm complaining about having overhead and having a staff and all that stuff. When I started Neato, my overhead went down by a lot. The amount of money that I was responsible for bringing in and, and holding on to every month was like at least less than half of what it was when I was in the other studio. Mm-hmm. Now, in that couple years that I was running Neato out of Sharkbite, I also was making enough money to not only keep my manager employed, Johnny, who had come with me from Coast, but also to hire a full-time assistant and to hire a part-time assistant. So the overhead of the studio originally went down by quite a lot, and that was the major motivation for starting my own mastering studio in Oakland. But as I had more and more success and was doing more and more records, it turned into a good opportunity to actually full-time employ somebody. And I hate to say put my money where my mouth is, but if you have a studio and you're not paying your assistants, you're not paying the people that are helping you get all this work done, you don't really have a studio. I mean, you have a a console and speakers and four walls, but to have an actual facility and a team of people that are helping you to get more and more and more work done, that's a real mastering facility. Yeah. So, you know, over the course of a couple of years, that grew and grew and grew and we became more and more stable. And so then I, I kind of realized that like where I would be even just two years from now, had I not taken Pete up on his offer, I would be probably hiring another mastering engineer to work under me. Hmm. and be responsible for them as well. But I would also be dealing with all of the other instability and difficulties of just living in the Bay Area. (laughs) Which my audience knows all too well of me complaining about how that is. Yeah, and I love the Bay. I mean, I've been there for a decade, Mm -hmm. and it's such an important part of who I am now and the way that I look at the world, and I've learned so much from being there. But fuck, it's hard to live there. Yeah, it is. And it's hard, you know, so then at the end of the day, you know, like I said, I've got, I'm responsible for a small staff. I'm responsible for my overhead. I don't have any debt. I own all my equipment, but I can't buy a house. Even though I have a down payment, I can't buy a house because I'm self-employed and the Bay Area doesn't understand. Mortgage brokers there don't understand how to give a mortgage to a freelance or self-employed person. I can't really go much further down the road in terms of building out another studio unless something else in that building opens up because otherwise it's not possible for me to expand any further. And I was sort of just looking at what the next couple years would be. And then I looked at how much money I was dishing out just to live. And even after a really good month of mastering, which is, that's a pretty big chunk of money if you have a good month. But at the end of the month, after the bills were paid and the assistance were paid, I kind of barely had enough money to scrape together to pay the rent on the house that I had. Yeah. So I sort of looked at it and went like, okay, I've been here for 10 years and I've built an amazing business. I have so much good happening. But at the end of the month, I am, I'm still exhausted and I don't have a whole lot to show for it. And I'm just kind of dumping this into rent. And so I got a little bit stuck is the, the biggest thing. I definitely could have held on for a couple more years. I definitely could have maybe like saved some money and then tried to buy a building one day or something like that. And that would be the next step for Nito as I knew it. Mm-hmm. I kind of just wanted to, to go back to being a part of a mastering studio with my friends, you know, and Pete's awesome. And Dave Gardner, the other engineer, mastering engineer there, Dave runs the LA studio and, and Dan, you know, they're all amazing mastering engineers. And I just kind of wanted to also just be part of a team again. So when he made me the offer, it was, it was a good business decision. 
So the overhead thing is still, it's still high, but now it's manageable. And I've been able to clear up a lot of extra money at the end of the month, just because the way that we shifted things meant that I would be taking home a lot more at the end of the month personally. Right. So I'd be able to actually make a living wage. Ultimately, are you an employee of Infrasonic? Ultimately, I still have all of my autonomy. I still run all my own client base. I have management support and assistance support and like facility and equipment support from Infrasonic. And are you um, responsible for a certain amount of billing or? Like any mastering facility, obviously, if, like, if I just stopped working tomorrow, I wouldn't, you know, Pete would have a conversation with me <laughs> to say, hey, are you okay? Right. <laughs> and then he would say, and also you, you need to keep billing. But me joining Infrasonic opens, if you think about it from a business perspective, it raises their revenue. And as long as I'm covering what extra expense they're laying out in terms of management and assistance, Mm-hmm. And eventually, we'll we'll deal with the Oakland studio and and how that gets taken care of on a monthly basis. For instance, like the insurance gets commingled at some point as part of that facility. Right now, I'm just still it's my equipment, so I'm insuring it personally. Right. But as long as what I'm responsible for covers the extra expense that they lay out, it's good for everybody. Because essentially, you're becoming part of a team of people that has an infrastructure that they can help you with. Business, PR, marketing, legal, PR, marketing. Legal is a big thing, and yeah. business management's a big thing that I didn't have access to. Because a project can come in and get shuttled to the different mastering engineers within that umbrella. Mm-hmm. And because of the higher profile nature of Infrasonic, the odds of working on higher profile projects goes up. That's a big thing. Yeah. And so when I was talking a little bit ago about services that are now available to my clients from Nito, there's an intangible profile that Infrasonic has that Nito didn't have. And now the clients from Nito and the clients that have been loyal to me and have come to me for record after record, now they get to be a part of something that's bigger than Nito was mm-hmm. and get to be combined in with some of those really high profile artists like Chris Stapleton and Jason Isbell and Brandy Carlisle and Tony Tucker and mm-hmm. Sturgill Simpson and, and everybody you can think of. Tell me if I'm completely off base here. If somebody chooses an infrasonic mastering engineer, this is kind of a wackadoodle thing to ask, I know, but does this mean that the odds go up of a potential Grammy nomination, for example, hmm. for that artist? Because they're coming into a team that is so embedded in the community on, on a high level mm-hmm. that they want to see records succeed because it looks good for Infrasonic. Am I wrong? There is definitely a, there's a support system that's part of the management that we have. Mm-hmm. But I think that, a, you know, a, a potential for a Grammy nomination really comes down to the song and the artist and the right. recording and all that stuff. And Certainly not implying know, that, that, you in know. In theory, you know, me joining Infrasonic gives potentially more weight to it. I'm a trustee of the San Francisco chapter of the Academy now. Right. And so, in a way, it's like a more officially grimy studio, I guess. It's a terrible right. way to put it. But, and I, but I'm not, yeah. once again, not suggesting that, hey, I'm going to get a Grammy if I if I have Piper master my record. because she's the with PR of even just something as simple as like, I mean, if you just boil it down, an Instagram post of something I'm working on coming from the Infrasonic Instagram versus what would have come from my Nito Instagram. Yeah, in theory, it might reach more people who are potentially voting members of the Academy. So maybe, I don't know, it would get more recognition. So you said something now that I want to parse. 
So you're living here in Nashville part time, but you're also still living in in, in the Bay Area in yeah, Oakland part time. Yeah, I, I I still have a business and a a room there that I rent. And how does that work with? You're part of the Recording Academy of San Francisco, so how does that you all can, jive? You can be a member of whatever chapter you choose. Hmm. I don't have to be. I mean, in theory, I could join the Pacific Northwest chapter and if I wanted to and live in New York. It doesn't. You you can you don't have to, for instance, do business and live where your chapter affiliation is. I was elected as a trustee of the academy even while I was in this transition. And that just says that the board members understand that I have San Francisco's chapter in, in a major priority in my life and that I will support that chapter no matter what. But a trustee is a national position. And a lot of the meetings that I'm responsible for and a lot of the committees and decisions and things, they don't happen in San Francisco anyway. They happen in L.A., or New York. Let me ask so. you about your observations of the Bay Area's recording community versus the Nashville recording community. I think most people know, without a doubt, Nashville has a great ecosystem. There's a lot going on here. It's a music hotbed, and the Bay Area doesn't have that same situation. But what are your observations of the differences of those two communities and what can each of those communities learn from one another? I mean, well, as far as the community and the in- industry goes, you know, both cities have a music industry and both cities have a music community. What San Francisco, and I've said this a million times, San Francisco lacks the underlying business of music. Yeah. The way that even the companies in San Francisco have treated the music community through the way that companies monetize artists' careers and don't give back to the artists. I'm not going to name any major streaming companies that are based or have offices in the Bay Area. <laughs> but here's a you thing. You know who you are. Here's a thing that I've I've learned, and it took me a little, a little while to understand this, but the fact is, if you, Matt, make a record mm-hmm. and it hits it big, you'll see some of that money for sure. But the fact is that somebody else is making a lot more than you are. And it doesn't matter if it was a record company or a tech company or even just your personal investor who helped you make that record. If there's a lot of money in the music industry, somebody's making it if you're not. So in the Bay, that's those tech companies that are making that money. In Nashville, I would argue that it's the labels and some of the bigger studios and the songwriters and the publishers. So I think that Nashville just has a much deeper understanding of how to monetize music that will also propel the artists' careers that are here and also support the ecosystem of studios that are here. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think that the Bay just has not figured it out and probably because it's a traditionally, it's a a shake-up kind of town and it's an activist town and it's a, a commentary kind of town. And I worried for a long time, and I'm totally like at peace with all of this, but it's just an observation. Mm-hmm. But I did worry for a long time that the Bay would just never decide to get its act together and become a music business town. And after watching it for 10 years, I don't think it will. I hope it does. But it just has to do with the fabric of the town itself. I would agree. And New York and LA. I mean, and all four of the, some of the, like what you would consider the major music hubs of North America, 
like they're all different too. LA is a different town than Nashville. Oh yeah. New York is a different town than LA. Yeah. And I think that the people that end up in the towns and the people that are making those music in different towns are the reason why the town is the way it is. What are your observations of the differences of the recording community itself, of the studios, of the engineers, of the producers and the artists? Well, in in all four of those places, especially like from San Francisco and, and Nashville, I think that the communities are all very supportive. And although the Bay is currently in a a very difficult time where everybody is in a survivalist mentality, Mm -hmm. that would be the most stark difference that I've seen in the last four or five years is the San Francisco area is having a crisis for everybody. And it's just sort of that's informing the way that people deal with each other. And so I'm not surprised that there are sometimes a little bit more competitive engineers in the Bay because the artists are shopping around for the best deal they can possibly get. And so if you, Matt, an engineer in the Bay, say, oh, well, I can do this entire record for this much, and then somebody else quotes exactly that much minus $150, there's a good chance you're going to lose that gig. I mean, I, it happens to me all the time. So I'll, like, I'll lose a mastering for a session over $15. And they're not. They're shopping around for the best price they can get. They're not shopping around with apples and apples. Even it sucks for the artist because then I'll end up. They might go with someone else and pay someone else to do the job, but then they come back to me afterward and pay me to do it again because they were unsatisfied with the first person. Can't tell you how many times that happens. I just had. An, I just did another one, a single and an instrumental for an artist that used somebody in the bay, and and it was a cheap job. And they paid for it and they were just not happy. And so then they had to come to me and do it again. It hurts the artists because they're paying more. But it also hurts the other engineers in the community because if you get undercut by $100, chances are that the engineer that undercut you knows you and probably knows how much you quoted. And they just, they just undercut you so that they could get the gig. So then that leads to dirty dealings and resentment and hurt feelings and and then you're less likely to send them work in the future and it just becomes this this vicious cycle and i've seen that happen so much in the last few years when i first moved to the bay it was we were on a really beautiful trajectory towards an open community and people visiting each other's studios and really sharing jobs and you know what matt i think that you'd be better at this because you know you're much better at recording drums than i am Hmm. so how about you record the basics and i'll take care of the vocal production and then so and so you know can master it or we can also have we can hook up this artist with this marketing person that we both know and, and really support like that was the kind of community that was being put together in a really beautiful and organic way in the Bay, even up till I would say four or five years ago. The problem that I see is when you have an economic situation like we have in the Bay Area, and we get these competitive things going on where people are losing gigs over a difference of $15, is that we then start to react as in a race to the bottom. Right. And that starts to drive the value down. And that's very frustrating. But you understand it, though, because you have a family to feed. Yeah. Right? Like you, you have to keep your studio open. And so if that means that you have to undercut your friend by a hundred bucks, you're going to do it. I would. You probably would I don't, but no. I kinda, you wouldn't, but there are, you know, there are many, many people who would. 
And it's just, it's hard to see because you know that they're not that kind of person that would just just be a shithead about it. But they have to make rent this month or see, they're going to be on their ass. I think this, this also is a, I'm going to draw an analogy here to social media. When you're on social media, we all know how that shithole can go in terms of, you'll say some stuff on social media that you wouldn't necessarily say in person. And I think when you come to see each other face to face in community events and you interact on a regular basis, you gain that respect and that relationship. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're keep the distance from each other, then it becomes, what are they doing over there? Mm -hmm. They become your arch enemy for yeah. only because they have not interacted with you personally, mm -hmm. which is my goal for the Bay Area is to, and you have made great strides in this with your balanced breakfast thing, which I actually never, that, the timing never worked for me. <laughs> I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. Just another update is I'm not really sure where they're at with it. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't I haven't been really been a part of it for a couple of years now since the, the Neato stuff and the mastering studio in Oakland was up on its feet. I just, I also was working on another big project, a manufacturing facility for vinyl records. And so I kind of didn't stick in the Balanced Breakfast community for too much longer. But I mean, one of the co-founders of that is based here in Nashville now. Andy so Freeman, Andy, right? Yeah. So now I'm, I've been going to the Nashville one. The point is like whatever's happening at the, the leadership level of that community can't really take any responsibility for at this point. Mm -hmm. um, I'm happy for them and their success, but I could only split my time. I, I only had 300% of a normal person's day. So <laughs> there's I only one Piper. I couldn't do that. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. Let me ask you, um, in, in the time since we've spoken, since the last podcast interview, are there some big life lessons and uh, business lessons you have learned between that first interview and this interview <sighs> that really you kind of hold dear to your heart now that you can mm -hmm. articulate with me? Yeah, I think having a good legal support and a good legal team is probably the best thing that you can do. Talk to me about um, once that. You start, once you start seeing any sort of success, you have to protect yourself. I had to learn this lesson twice since we last spoke, which is that you can know somebody for a very long time and you can feel like you understand all of their motivation, understand everything that they have going on. People will always surprise you unless you have contracts and contracts that are also applicable for the specific task at hand. If you kind of sleep on it and you don't, preemptively protect yourself from whatever could possibly happen. I think that like I had some big surprises. The biggest lesson that I had to learn, and that this is the most recent lesson, this is not part of the mastering community. I'll just make sure that that's clear. So yeah. the, the contracts that I signed originally were in the spirit of one job task. That job or task ended up moving into another, a whole other area. Mm -hmm. And so then by the time everything shook out, I didn't have a good way of protecting myself because my contracts reflected a different task. When everything fell apart, 
it was difficult for me to recoup all of the time and energy and money that I spent. When somebody says, we can, we'll take care of that next week, we'll take care of that next week, we'll take care of that next week. And this is the lesson I had to learn twice is that you have to advocate for yourself. When it's a really big deal to have your contracts actually reflect the job that you're doing, the chances are that when everything hits the fan, you're not going to be protected in the future. At the end of the day, humans are going to watch out for themselves. And that's partially what I mean about this whole survivalist mentality thing. Humans are humans. Humans are humans. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Right. This has nothing to do with anybody who's actually in the music industry in the Bay Area right now. I just need to be clear about that. Yeah. Yeah. So just that's the disclaimer. This was about a completely other and separate endeavor. It's many people's nature to, in this business, to not get involved in the legalities of doing business because we just want to, hey, I got a studio. Let's, Mm -hmm. you know, let's do stuff. And it's kind of done on a handshake. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I think going the very legal route and spelling things out helps define Mm -hmm. the structure of what's happening. And I think it's important. I think I kind of shy away from those situations a lot because I like to work autonomously and I don't like to be hampered by the involvement of others. And that can come, that can have a cost involved as well because, you know, can't do everything on your own all the time. That's right. Another lesson I learned is that when you need help, you just have to ask for it. And the folks that have really understood the struggle that I was having last year and then the early part of this year, Mm -hmm. I was floored by the amount of help and support I got from some close friends and actually like colleagues that I didn't ever think I would be spending time with or working with the other side of it is like the is the the friends and support that I have had and even when I was thinking about starting that new company down in Oakland and then I was just going back and forth and I was just I was losing sleep and I was practically making myself sick over the thought of disappointing Michael who had been my supporter and mentor for so long but I just I had some really good friends and mentors that just let me know that everything would be okay mm-hmm. and that I this is a thing that I have to do for myself. And that lesson, understanding that there are sometimes I have to do things for myself and just take care of me, that really was instrumental in pushing me forward. Because I am the type of person that will just try and help other people. And when somebody needs something, I'm there. And There was probably a lot of neglect of myself and my own interests and what I needed that was happening there for a long time. And so the lesson is that when when people say you can do this and kind of give you permission to to move forward, Mm -hmm. then you kind of have to listen. (laughs) Because there were a lot of people that pulled me aside and said, you know, you should go do this. You should do this thing. You should go do, you know, go do something new. And I was so upset about the whole thing. But when I finally allowed myself to just do something good for me and do what I really wanted to do, that's when I started having a lot more success and making money finally and being able to support a small staff. So It's tough to have confidence in yourself sometimes. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, you, we all get in our own heads and we look at external factors and those weigh on us. And sometimes it takes somebody from the outside looking in going, hey, it's okay. You can, you can do this because... Mm-hmm. You have the freedom to do so. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to see it sometimes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's difficult to have that own objectivity about one's own career, one's own decision-making. When we get stuck in 
in four walls, so to speak, of, mm-hmm. of business setups that we create. And then I know this is a total cliche. What's the Eagles song where... It's always Hotel California. It's always... No, no, but the, uh, <laughs> to quote the Eagles from uh, the song Already Gone, so oftentimes it happens that we live our lives in chains and we never even knew we have the key. Uh, yeah, so that's... <laughs> That is, sometimes it that takes, is very so, true. It, sometimes it really takes our friends and our peers to say, it's like, where are the keys? Yeah. I don't know where the keys are. I don't know if I can ever leave what yeah. I'm doing. And where are my sunglasses? Oh, like, they're on your head. They're on your head, <laughs> dumbass. Come on, you got to do this. And that's why I think it's important to build strong networks of friends mm-hmm. and be loyal to those people because yeah. in times of need and, and struggle, they're going to be there yeah to point out that your sunglasses are on your head or it's okay to lead the situation that you're in. Mm-hmm. So sorry to be all cheese ball on you guys and, and quote the, the Eagles with that. But I think there's something to that. Mm-hmm. Can I quote, can I quote someone? Please. This is from the great uh, T-Pain. <laughs> yeah. And Usher. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I think it's important for some of the, maybe some of the folks that are listening to mm-hmm. this to understand that like you don't have to do everything all by yourself all the time mm-hmm. because of the where we come from as engineers. You said it yourself is that sometimes you're you feel like you're responsible for everything that you've got going, and so sometimes so it's and and that's the way that you've done business for a while. But whether you accept help in the studio or whether you accept help in your life you still kind of need that. Absolutely. Maybe it would be helpful for folks to understand the depth of support network and support bed that I do have. Yeah, as name a, names. As a person. Okay, so the person who helped to build Nito into what it was to then be marketable and, and strong enough to join Infrasonic would be Jonathan Rago, my longtime manager. I can't thank him enough for everything that he did to to support me and and kind of help me out with number one making sure the business was running properly and so that I could go and start that other venture that I alluded to a little bit ago. Sometimes managers are really great at their job, but they they only work you know nine to five. Johnny would be available to me anytime I needed anything, and we grew into great friends to the point where he was sort of someone I would always kind of turn to and go, hey, what do you think about this? You know, I trusted him and his opinion and his thoughts on things. I can't thank him enough for everything that he that he did to help make sure that Nito stayed healthy while I was going to work on something else for a while. How did that relationship form in a nutshell? When I was mastering in my, my studio at the old 1340 Mission building, okay. at my, when it was Michael Romanowski mastering, uh-huh. I was returning an email to him because I had I was mastering records for one of his clients that he was managing at the time. Mm-hmm. And I had just put in writing, hey, give me a minute to reply to this. Our manager is absent or, or something like that. I didn't tell him at the time that we had just lost our manager. And Johnny said, oh, well, you know, I just started a new you know, a new management collective. If you want to talk about it, let me know. So if you're, if you, if you need a manager, let's talk. Hmm. But he was impressed, I guess, with the mastering work that I was doing. And he had sent me a lot of work over the year or so that I had been working with him at that point. And he wanted to bring me on as a manager. And then he ended up managing Coast Mastering for a little while. And then after I left, Johnny came with me. Okay. So. Interesting. I'm just always curious yeah. how, how unions like that happen, how good you know business relationships happen like that. Yeah. Who else? And who else? Of course, the assistants that have helped Nito over the years and 
just like to name a couple would be Chris Hughes. He's been with me for a couple years now, and he's my main assistant. He does a lot of the load-in, load-out QC work, helping to deal with clients, etc. Trevor Orris, he started out as an intern. He came, actually, Catherine and I basically share him as an assistant. Mm -hmm. Catherine Vericoli, for those that are wondering, who's also a former WCA guest. That's right. Yeah. So, yeah, Trevor came from... He was one of Catherine's star students, and he and his wife were looking to move up to the Bay, and he needed a gig. And so he came up and started working for me, and I didn't really let him go after that because he's he's so wonderful. Audrey Howard, who was my personal assistant and, and a mastering assistant for a while there. Mm-hmm. So that's like, those are some of the folks that just really helped Nito get off the ground. But the actual people over the years that have supported me and helped guide me and and financially supported me, I mean, I have to start with my folks. Yeah. My mom and dad lent me the money interest-free to purchase my speakers outright. Yeah. And then I was able to pay them back over time. But my mom and my dad, who we lost in March. I'm so this, sorry. I didn't know that. It's been a rough year, dude. <laughs> wow. Yeah. But they were, they've always been supportive and- and just wanted me to be happy and, and your dad and was do an attorney, work. right? Yeah, my dad was an attorney. So part of my legal team literally died in the middle of of everything that was shaken out with all of that other stuff. And so when I say that the team that then he knew loosely because I had introduced them. So my the Calif- my California counsel, Heather Rafter, who you may know from the music industry. I don't. She's I mean, she is just a dynamo and she's amazing and full of energy. And she was dealing with, with some family stuff, even just when I was at the same time. And so we were able to bond over that, but Heather and her team, they really helped to protect me and put my mind at ease when everything was kind of going, going nuts. Jim and Lori Maxwell for financially supporting the endeavors that I've been working on and the lead investors on a new business to continue the work that I was doing yeah. in the, over the last couple of years. David Earl for sitting me down and having lunch with me and saying, you need to go and start your own thing. He put it in a business and a financial perspective for me. Hmm. If that makes sense. You, Matt, for giving me some some advice and guidance historically. I was so impressed with all of the new endeavors that you had started, even just something as simple as WCA and and also like going and building your own facility outside of the place where we knew each other. Mm-hmm. It was so cool and so respectable. And so you did it in a way that you had so much dignity around it. And I was really, really impressed by that. And so just that was your a role model for me in some of that transition. Oh, God. So just so I you know. say. <laughs> Make me blush. Yeah. I mean, like some of the, the mentors that I had in building the business and the manufacturing facility and some of my just deep, deep friends that I have now that were a couple of the co-founders of that facility are just, I'm super close with Michael Thomas, mm-hmm. Joe Markert. I can't, I mean, Joe and I have been through the ringer and we've become a lot closer. I mean, and then all of my other, like, you know, just my good friends, like Michelle and John, the couple of folks that actually checked in to make sure I was okay in all of the others, you know, all of the craziness that was happening with the manufacturing facility. Mm-hmm. Um, just like literally just bringing me food sometimes when I was just losing my whole mind. And that's not, it wasn't a, the last few months and especially like losing my dad and dealing with like a lot of family stuff and now having to be 
one of the point people on the estates and all that stuff. It's it's just a big, huge mess. And so mm. having a couple of just a good friend couple that would just kind of make sure that I was eating, it's simple, but but that's that's really neat. And so I, I adore them. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Samply, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Samply.app or Samply.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Samply.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. I, I don't mean to interrupt, yeah. I, but I, I want to stop you for a sec because I want, if the audience is not getting this, this is what you need to get out of this. And this is part of the whole point of working class audio. You may see the names and the faces working on big records or films or games or whatever it is. There's always a big story mm-hmm. behind it. And there's a big struggle behind it. Yeah, even little old me, there's I haven't done nearly what I want to in my career. But there's like just a massive amount of people and help and time and money that goes into even just building a career like mine, yeah. which is modest and still very intermediate. The thing is like I have the confidence and the the resources now to hopefully be propelled forward and keep working hard, but Pete Lyman and Reed Shippen Stellar, getting me out to Nashville, guys. all of the other, all the other folks at Infrasonic and Robot Lemon, just welcoming me and my team into the family, making sure that I had everything I needed to feel to be confident in this move. And I mean, even something as simple as Reed saying, "Oh, we need you out here soon. You have an RV, right? Just come park in the parking lot." <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And so I was able to pick up and move and op- open up shop in Pete's room. Fast. Fast. Like yeah. less than a month. I mean, other folks, of course, the rest of my family and stuff, but the support that I've had from Catherine in particular, even something as simple as her just being like, hey, quit being an idiot. Call Pete. And I called him and he said, hey, I've been meaning to talk to you, meaning to call you because we have this new thing happening and I, I want you to be a part of it. And having that be the offer is something so simple as just making a phone call and it can totally open up new roads into your life. I want to ask you about something. You've, you've gone through a lot of struggle here and a lot of, had a lot of challenges in the last couple of years since we initially spoke on our interview. Net good. Yeah. But, but it's been challenged. Struggle nonetheless. Yeah. What are you going to do moving forward? to learn from some of these challenges. Are there some changes that you're going to make in your personal business life logistically to minimize stress Mm -hmm. so that those struggles don't have to repeat themselves? Right. It goes down to just, it's been really hard to run a business and live 
in the Bay Area full time as a single person. Mm-hmm. It's not a secret, but Catherine and I have been we've been doing the the long distance thing for a long time, and that alone is a source of stress because of the traveling and the logistics of two full time audio and pros. audio pros is a lot to deal with with two dogs and and families in failing health, and there's a lot of stuff to deal with with that. And so having a business in Oakland that is doing well and is comfortable and making the bills and making the money I need it to and also having the ability to start a new wide open opportunity here in in Nashville and call this home base sometimes and call Oakland home base sometimes, at least like having the stability of that and not throwing a bunch of money into rent in the Bay Area right now is making a massive amount of stress relief happening. Also, I'm like a little bit closer to my mom in Michigan, so it's a little easier to help out with some of that stuff. But weirdly, I know it's counterintuitive that I'm splitting time and my life is actually a lot more simple now. Like it, so- it sounds fucked up and weird, but mm-hmm. my but even just something as, as simple as, okay, now I would have a home to go home to that is actually mine and I'm not just like bleeding money with Bay Area rent and the difficulty of all of that. I, I'm sorry I laugh because I, I've bleeding money. I've been really good about that in the past. Yeah. yeah everybody goes, everybody goes well, you're going to split time? How are you going to do that? And I'm like, you don't understand what the last couple of years have been like, which is running and building a mastering business while also working another like literally full-time plus job trying to open a manufacturing facility while also being in a long-distance relationship while also trying to like deal with a bunch of family shit is that's what my life has been like for the last few years. And now Hmm. it's just as simple as splitting time between two cities where Catherine has opportunities here and she's pursuing those. And so maybe in a few years, this will be home base fully for both of us. I don't know. I could see that happening. I could see you consolidating. Yeah. Weirdly, like just splitting time between two cities is actually a massive consolidation from what the last few years have been. Does that make sense? You've gone from a, <laughs> a huge amount of chaos to a to minimal a, amount of chaos. A minimal chaos. amount of chaos, which I'm a little I'm a little bored with already, but <laughs> I am gonna hint that the work that I was doing for anybody that knows what I was working on in Oakland, I'm not gonna again make any specific call outs, but anybody that knows what I was working on in Oakland, it's already in the works again here. Yeah. So there's some legalities that yeah. one ha- that we have to be careful here because yeah. there's some ongoing things. Yes. So we apologize for being vague, but names withheld to protect the innocent. That's right. Or not. Part of the problem was I spent the first half of 19 just um kind of heartbroken at all of the missed opportunities and all of what seemed like just lost time and lost money for no reason, like futile, wheel-spinning, money-bleeding, heartbreaking stuff that happened. And when I finally just said, okay, I'm going to close that door and I'm going to just take a few months and join the team at Infrasonic, get the Nashville thing happening, go back to Oakland, take care of everybody that I need to take care of there. But like, I'm going to close that door on the manufacturing thing for a minute. It was less than a week from when I landed here before I was already getting bombarded with opportunities to open that again here. So I, yeah, I mean, I had to mentally and emotionally 
kind of shut that down and go, all right, I'm just going to go back to basics. I'm going to go back to focusing just on only on mastering mm-hmm. and just get that solid. And so I did that. And it was really within that first month I was even here there were already opportunities to open up again. And with a lot more money, with a lot better partners, with the folks that I probably should have been in business with to begin with, and a couple of the original co-founders of what we had going before. So I I just want to highlight that, you know, I went through a lot of wackadoodle stuff that... I love that you use wackadoodle. It's been a while since I've used that term, but here I've used it twice in the show. You know, the working class audio wouldn't have existed had I not made a series of mistakes and missteps and done some stupid stuff. So you telling me all this just makes me think you're going to emerge on the other side with your own version of that. You've gone through a lot of hell. And on the other side of it, you, with maturity, personally and business-wise, you are aligning yourself with some very smart people who are genuinely good people. Mm-hmm. And I just think some great things are going to come out on the other side. It all it also goes back to that same thing, what we started talking about, which is at the beginning of this update, we were talking about the community and the location that that I'm trying to do this in. And for some things like the music community with me as a mastering engineer in Oakland, I mean, there is so much that I'm blessed to have and huge opportunities that have come out of my facility there. Mm-hmm. And the manufacturing thing just like wasn't working there. And so having now also moved part-time to Nashville and getting in with the right folks, it's like the mentality of the survivalist kind of thing is not really a big thing here. It's like a squirrel getting ready for winter, right? Toward the end of the fall, they're spending all their time gathering nuts and seeds and like stashing that stuff away. It's like just sort of springtime here where people aren't really freaked out about gathering their nuts and seeds. They're working on new opportunities and they're working on not under duress <laughs> and not under survivalist mentality stuff. You're aligning yourself with people who have a proven track record of integrity and success. Because you kind of have to have both of those things to keep that success going and, and build that success. Yeah. Like, it's easier to get a bigger bank account if you already have some money in the bank. Right. That's true. Money begets money, right? Yeah. And that's something that we're always afraid to talk about in San Francisco. In the, in the music, and, music and arts community is money. Because you don't start with it like, we're going to make something and we're going to make a bunch of money. It comes from a different place, which is, it comes from art. And it comes, you know, it's like, wow, we're going to make a successful career. Maybe I'll like make enough money to have my art pay my bills. It's just like this, it's this myopic there's not a lot to th- even think about or see beyond just what's happening right now today or what like what what where am I going to live tomorrow and so there's not a lot of room for new big ventures in the arts and music world there we've beat that horse as far as like if we haven't made it clear how ultimately difficult it, it can be to I still think it's worth doing oh sure I don't mean to cut you off but like I don't want to like come off as like ragging on the bay or something it's just we also are not really good at being honest about what's happening there. You are. I am. I meant the Bay as a community right. has a tendency tendency to go, yeah, but we're making art. Yeah. I know. And and then to forgive or or brush away all of the other things that are very clear in other cities. Once you leave that bubble, you realize like, oh, you can have a three bedroom house with a garage and a yard 
for the same amount of money that somebody's paying for their studio apartment. And then they're paying extra to have a rehearsal facility that they can't even access until like 2 a.m. on a Thursday because they're sharing it with six other people. And like all of the work and the struggle that you go through just to exist there, you could be in the suburbs of any other beautiful city and be working on your own music by yourself, in your own home, I mean, not necessarily by yourself, like you don't have a community, but there's so much, like you know this because you travel outside of the Bay a lot, but a lot of people don't even have the funds to leave the Bay. And then they kind of just get stuck in that mentality of like, can I afford a sandwich today? Oh yeah. Not how do I go meet with the person that might be able to help me build my career. That's a very interesting point because that's almost like a whole separate conversation or podcast in itself is just you uh, as a recording professional, sometimes capitalism is a bad word. And without getting into politics, we live in the Bay Area in, in our li big liberal bubble. Mm -hmm. There's a, You encounter a lot of people who want to project the, oh, but it's, you know, it is about the art. And I agree. It At the end of the day, sure, it is about the art, but people have to make a living. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to be cutthroat about it, but you can be smart about it and you can be respectful of blending capitalism with art. Yeah. And I make no bones about it. I'm a capitalist. I, I enjoy sometimes the thrill of putting together artistic and money-making situations to try to blend those two in a smart way. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people out here that I've encountered that I look to and go, hmm, they're doing interesting things where they're making a living and doing the art, and there's no apologies about it. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And that's that's all I'm trying to say Like when I'm, when I'm talking about how like we have to be honest about where the Bay is at with its attitude towards making a living. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, we're having a hard time making a living. It must be because of the government, or it must be because of the way that you know, the tech companies have come in or it must be because of X, Y, Z thing. But there are, like, you don't realize there are a lot of really successful songwriters and really successful artists that live in the Bay because they choose to, but they probably go other places to do a lot of their business. And we ignore that. We also ignore that you don't have to undercut each other in order to make a living, but because there's this survivalist thing that's happening. Like Les Stroud should probably go spend some time in the Bay. Who? Les Stroud, uh, Survivor Man. Oh, I don't know who that is. He's like Bear Grylls, but he doesn't drink his own pee, as far as I know. <laughs> I don't encourage you to drink your own pee. <laughs> but I made that joke because it's like, that's the ultimate rush and like resourcefulness and survivalness. It's like not being out in the wilderness. It's like surviving <laughs> being an artist in the Bay Area. Right. Well, it's <laughs> it's like an athlete training in Colorado at high altitudes. Yeah. It's like if you can do that, then when you come down to sea level, you you've yeah. been successful up there. You you might be able to make it. I mean, you still have levels. to work hard and you sure. still have to have, you know, have your integrity and be respectful and stuff. But the fact is like there's like an, a non-apology apology for not making money in the music industry in the Bay. Mm -hmm. And I've built a good business. I joined this team not because I was I couldn't make it in the Bay, but because I knew that there would be a, more and new opportunities joining the Infrasonic team. Well, the strength um, in numbers. That too. But I could have just continued making my livable wage in the Bay. It's just that I didn't like what I was wasting and the kind of wheel spinning I was doing there. But if I can do it, 
anybody else can do it. It's not like it's not possible. I think you've learned some fantastic lessons in in your journey since we last spoke. And, you know, all that experience adds up to you making smarter decisions today and also your ability to make better decisions in regards to your clients and mm-hmm. their and their interests. And yeah. The thing that has always baffled me is because I felt like from day one, I've always seen my mastering career and my mastering business as a business. Mm-hmm that makes cool things, makes cool records, makes makes people's art come to life and finishes projects for them. Mm-hmm. But it's a business. And if you're not making money, more, not, you don't have to make a lot of money, but if you're not making enough money to justify having the doors open or every single month you are dipping into credit cards just to survive, yeah. or you are borrowing something that you have no ability to either return or make it better, then you don't have a business. You have a hobby, right? expensive hobby. And mastering is probably the most expensive. As my friend Vance Powell, who I will actually say is on my on that list of folks that are in that commu- the community here that have welcomed me and given me a lot of confidence to come here, mm-hmm. Vance Powell, Mitch Dane, the one thing that he likes to harp on is, oh, you folks got that mastering money. Yeah. It's just a big joke because, you know, he has like way more equipment than anybody. Like, thank God, you know, but right. it's not, you know, I mean, you make one significant investment in your mastering gear and that should be enough to fuel a lifelong career. And that's, you know, that's the struggle that I went through for the last 10 years was to amass that equipment and build it in a way that I wasn't in any debt and to set myself up for future endeavors with that as a solid business and a solid career. Well, we're almost out of time, Piper. And uh, Yeah, because I got to go like... Sign papers sign for papers a house. to buy a house. Right, which would have been virtually impossible for you in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. I'm really happy that we did this because uh, I didn't realize the extent of what was happening, which is partly on me for not staying in touch with you closer. We've been in touch. It's okay. It's you not, know, I, mean, I had you no had idea. You your own shit to do it. I know? had no idea your dad died. I'm so sorry to hear yeah, that. Yeah, all of a sudden. Yeah, he, he battled cancer for the better part of last year and then was completely free. Really weird, rare, aggressive cancer. He went, he went through all the chemo and radiation and everything and was cleared. And then in March, yeah, so he was cleared for like three, four months. And then in March, he just dropped out of a heart attack. So it's just his body just wasn't able to keep going. How old was he? 74, 75, 74. Yeah. He would have just, actually, you know what? I'm sorry. He just turned 75 in December. So. Okay. Well, in spite of all the struggles, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, you're like a cat. You're landing on your feet and, and you're really aligning yourself, as I said before, with some very smart and very uh, kind people mm-hmm. here in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And uh, all I could say is, is I can't wait to talk to you 200 plus episodes from now to kind of check in with what's what's happened. So thanks, Matt, and thanks for doing this update. I know I've I've bugged you <laughs> about it. Sort of like every every cool thing that happened along the way, I was like, hey, Matt, we got to update that podcast. And and then you know the next time I saw you, I was like, oh God, I got way more stuff to update you on. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a good place to do this. So thank you for taking the time this morning, and oh, also thank- in our in our maybe. Slightly hungover, Nam. Who's hungover? Who's hungover? (laughs) 
No, we had a huge party last night, and there were like what two hundred people there at least, and we did a direct to disc with Boo Ray, and that was super fun. Oh, it's crazy. Um, so I mean, you know, even just being here, I'm just doing neat things that I never, you know, would have been able to be a part of before. Well, once again, thank you for doing this. Uh, thanks for coming out here mm-hmm. to thanks uh, to Lidge. For thanks to Lidge Shaw studio. from Recording Studio Rockstars for hosting us here at his studio, so we could do this in a nice, quiet, peaceful environment. Well, I guess until we meet again for another update down the road, thanks again, and I can't wait to see what happens. Thanks, Matt. Likewise. All right. Hyperpain here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for, giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right, pretty affordable. Head on over to caliaudio.com and check out the new LPUNF. Want to thank everybody that helped out with the show today. That includes Anne Marie Plo on the editing, Cliff Truesdale on the Working Class Audio theme song, and the smooth and silky voice of Mr. Chuck Smith. Spread the word, tell everybody about the show, and uh, make sure and stop on by workingclassaudio.com. Until then, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.